Hello, peoples, and welcome to another episode of Esoterica Cinema, the podcast where we take films from the cinematic multiverse and discuss the hell out of them. I am your host for the day, Ryan Siebold, coming at you with another I Got Five on It five minute mini review. You know, I swore I was going to quit doing that, but here we are, end of season three coming up, and I'm still doing it, so I guess you're stuck with that. Now, before I get into today's film, I did want to throw out a very quick call to action. We've been doing this for a while now, and we've charted very well all over the world. We've officially been listened to on all seven continents, which is absolutely amazing to me. I can't thank each and every one of you enough for listening and following along on this adventure of ours. Jason and I spend countless hours each week producing and editing this content for your ear holes. We don't get paid, it's a labor of love. And I just wanted to take a quick second to ask for your help. Whatever platform you're listening to us on, if you could give us a rating and review, we'd certainly love to hear from you. What are we doing right? What would you like to hear? Are there movies we could add to the list? Let us know. We'll read each and every one of these reviews, so if you have any input, you want to hear some changes to the show, or just want to let us know we're doing a good or bad job, take a second, give us a rating and review. We certainly would appreciate it. With that said, on with the show! Today's film is The Menu from 2022. IMDb has this summarized as, A young couple travels to a remote island to eat at an exclusive restaurant where the chef has prepared a lavish menu with some shocking surprises. Dun, dun, dun. This is directed by Mark Mylod, whose career has mostly existed in the realm of TV, but some damn fine television, directing several episodes of series like Game of Thrones, Succession, and Shameless. Is it Succession? Succession. Succession? Succession? I'll never figure that out. This was made on a budget of $30 million and brought in a box office of $80 million, so we're going to call this one a success. That one's right. I know that. Success. <laughs> but I gotta say, this one was a really hard one for me to wrap my head around. There were some things that I really loved about this movie, and some things I wasn't so strong on. So whereas normally I'd come to you with a bunch of behind-the-scenes info and trivia about the film... I thought today's episode would be best served with a good old-fashioned pros and cons list. Pros and cons! Alright, first starting with some pros. Holy crap was this a pretty film. The cinematographer Peter Deming killed this movie. I was shocked I've never heard this man's name before, so I had to go look him up on IMDb. Here comes the info dump. Ready for this? This guy's got a crazy resume. Going down the list, we're looking at films like Cabin in the Woods, Drag Me to Hell, Mulholland Drive, I Heart Huckabees, Austin Powers and Goldmember, Evil Dead 2 is where he got his start, Drop Dead Fred, House Party, My Cousin Vinny, on and on it goes. Look this guy up, Peter Deming with one M, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, and holy crap, this guy shot the shit out of this film. It is absolutely gorgeous. The dramatic lighting, the overhead shots in the kitchen, the use of color or lack thereof, on and on it goes. This guy crushed this movie. It's absolutely perfectly shot. I would not change a thing. And he had his work cut out for him, as most of this film takes place on one location, which I would throw on the pros list. The set and setting was amazing. The fact that this whole thing took place in the context of Hawthorne Restaurant on this remote island, mostly all in one room, was a challenge to keep me interested. But it did just that. It almost runs like a stage play, specifically for the second and third acts. Very rarely do you leave the one room. So that puts a lot of additional heavy lifting on the ensemble cast, which it was that. And this brings me to my next thing on my pros list, is the food. Director Mark Mylod realized very early on the importance of the dishes coming out of the kitchen and pulled out all the stops to make sure they were absolutely perfect. They really were a character all their own in this film. The crew brought in Chef Dominique Crenn, 
out of San Francisco, who was the only female chef to attain three Michelin stars. And she was tasked with not only creating these dishes and bringing them to life, but also making sure the kitchen ran authentically as well. So as the film goes on, if you look in the background, each one of the sous chefs is actively working on plating and preparing these dishes as they come out. Nothing is phoned in, nothing is faked. In addition to that, they hired chef's table creator David Gelb as the second unit director. Many of the film's insert shots of food took direct inspiration from the show Chef's Table, and they wanted to make sure that felt as authentic as possible, so they went right to the source himself, David Gelb. Without any spoilers, these moments were also used to get a little laugh here and there as well, which really worked for me. I really love those moments. I'll also put in the pros column performances by Anya Taylor-Joy and Ray Fiennes, because of course, Ray Fiennes, as always, drives home a tremendous performance as head chef Slowick slash cult leader and has us engaged in what his character is going to do next all the way to the end of the film. I cannot state enough about his performance in this movie. Solid, solid stuff. And Anya Taylor-Joy had her hands full as her character of Margot is mostly shrouded in mystery until the third act. So she has to take you along for the ride without having a whole lot to go on as many of the details of her character aren't revealed for most of the film. She's also the closest thing we have to a protagonist, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But the real star of this show for me is Hong Chow. Holy crap is she lovable on film. Prior to this, I mostly knew her from her turn on the HBO series The Watchmen, which she also crushed. But I can say, without hesitation, she is absolutely, without a doubt, the best thing to happen to this movie. Any scene she's in, it's the best scene. I could listen to her say tortillas all day. These are tortillas. Just give me the Hong Chow tortilla movie. That's all I want to see. These are tortillas. Now for a quick rundown of some cons. I really struggled with this film as it didn't really seem like it knew what it wanted to be. It was never funny enough to be a comedy. It was never suspenseful enough to be a thriller. It wasn't really a horror? Question mark? It's a very confusing film. In many of the behind-the-scenes interviews I saw with the actors, they stated that's what really drew them to the script in the first place, was they were really curious how this was going to turn out. They didn't know how this was going to go, because it's thematically all over the place. I partially attribute this to writers Seth Reese and Will Tracy, whose credits include writing for The Onion and the comedy Bang Bang TV series, among other things. But with their list of credits, and it's also notably produced by Adam McKay and Will Ferrell, I just expected this to be a little funnier. Outside of Anya Taylor-Joy, Ray Fiennes, and Hong Chow, the rest of the ensemble cast is very ham-fisted. This movie wants you to know it's satirizing rich, snobby people. So badly. To its own detriment. It is very ham-fisted. You've got stereotypical characters like a snobby food critic and her assistant. You've got the pastest prime actor, played by John Leguizamo. You've got the know-it-all foodie who can't cook, played by Nicholas Holt. You've got finance bros. You've got the rich couple who don't appreciate shit. On and on it goes, but everybody's character is cranked to 11, and they are just hamming it up, leaning into it. At times, it feels like a New Yorker cartoon. Like the jokes are so highbrow and obvious that they just kind of stop being funny. Then I go online and see that writers Seth Reese and Will Tracy actually did write for The New Yorker, so that checks out. The film did have some really cool moments, not the least of which is the climax, which was absolutely dope. I loved it. It was like a zany and wild food-inspired version of Midsommar, which I also enjoyed. But in addition to me not ever really knowing what genre of film I was watching, I'll also add that there's really no protagonist, antagonist, or MacGuffin to this film. It is structured very, very strange. Anya Taylor-Joy's character of Margot is the closest thing we get to a protagonist in so much as she's just separated and distant from the rest of the characters, trying not to spoil too much here, but her character is so shrouded in mystery until the third act that it's really hard for us to follow along, like she's not really a protagonist that we can ever attach ourselves to, because we know nothing about her, right down to the fact of never really knowing why she's there in the first place. 
All we ever know is that she's not one of these rich fucks, so we're just along for the ride with her, I guess. The role of antagonist kind of goes to everyone else. And to this day, I still don't know what the MacGuffin of this whole film was, so yeah, it's structured very, very odd. Pair that with the muddled genre of the film and the ham-fisted performances as I stated, and yeah, this was a hard one for me to take in, hence his pros and cons list. I'm still trying to parse it all out myself. One last thing to add to the pros column is that goddamn cheeseburger at the end. Holy crap, I've been wanting a good cheeseburger since I saw this movie a few days ago. I have yet to get one. If you've seen this movie, you know what I'm talking about. This cheeseburger went viral. You could look it up without spoiling the movie, but holy crap, that was a good-ass cheeseburger. My three adjectives are frustrating because I wanted it to be great. And it was so close on so many levels. I almost wonder if this film was put in the hands of a director like Edgar Wright or maybe even Drew Goddard. It could have found its footing in the genre a little bit better. Like maybe Edgar Wright would have leaned into those comedy beats a little better and this would have been a funnier film. Or Drew Goddard could have leaned into some of the horror beats a little better. And this could have been more of a thriller or scarier film. Or even ended up with something like Cabin in the Woods, which was a great split right down the middle. I freaking love that movie. But what we're left with is my next adjective, which is vanilla ice cream. Are you having ice cream? Yes, absolutely. It's good ice cream. But if you're going to have ice cream, don't you want like one of your favorite flavors? Butter pecan or cookies and cream? This was just vanilla ice cream. It really did leave me wishing that it was just a little better. It was so close to greatness. And my last one is artisan. I could not look away. This is a piece of art. On that level, it succeeds. This is an artisan film. I wanted to be in that kitchen. Everything was absolutely beautiful. Many of the performances were good, even though some of the characters were ham-fisted. Like I said, there's a lot going on in this movie. I'm still trying to suss it all out myself. But yeah, vanilla ice cream, frustrating, and artisan. I'm giving this movie a B-. It is streaming on HBO Max right now in the States, so you can go watch it yourself pretty easily. Let us know what you think. Well, that's it for me. Catch us next week on another episode of Esoterica Cinema!